Thank you for your word and thank you for your spirit. Uh, once we were dead, but now because of the finished work of Jesus, we are alive. And we thank you for that. Uh, we thank you for your finished work and the indwelling spirit who will lead us and guide us into all truth. Your word is truth. And I pray that you would take what is yours and make it a part of us tonight. We thank you and we pray for this, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Leviticus. Holiness, this is, that's the word that I put on the book of Leviticus. Maybe you can begin to, after ten chapters, you can begin to see why I put that word on the book of Leviticus. So tonight I want to read, uh, we're going to talk about the priests tonight. Uh, and so I thought we would start with this. No, 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 we're going to start with this. Yeah, okay. Review. Chapter 40 of Exodus, somebody comes to live with the Israelites. God. He comes to live in his tabernacle. The Holy of Holies is his throne room, essentially. He comes to dwell, to tabernacle with his people. Exodus 40. Big, giant chapter so far in our study. Exodus chapter 40. God comes to live with his people. There he is, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. You're in the camp. You have two questions on your mind. How do I approach this God? Because he's told me that I am to offer him tribute. I am to bring my worship, in a sense, to him. How do I approach him? And how do I live with him? Because he is a holy fire. Leviticus is answering those two questions. How do I approach God and how do I live with God? How do I approach God is 1 through 16. I approach God through, what did we look at last time? A compelling lesson, obviously, on the sacrifices. And we looked at the different sacrifices. How do I approach this holy God? I approach him through sacrifices, the kind he has demanded. Not the kind I want to bring, but the kind he has demanded and is deserving of. So I come through sacrifices. How else do I approach this holy God? Through a consecrated priesthood. Through priests. He has appointed priests to offer my sacrifices to him so that they're done in a pleasing manner. So there's sacrifices, there's the priesthood, and then the next chapter or the next uh, section we'll talk about next week is avoiding defilement. So I come, how do I approach this God? Through sacrifices, through a priesthood, and by avoiding defilement. That's how I approach God. Then the second half of Leviticus, how do I live with this God? We'll talk a lot about that too. So tonight, the priests, how do I approach God? Sacrifices through the priests. That's why the 8 through 10 is right here. You say, well, didn't we already cover the priests in Exodus? We did. We get some, a little bit more information here in 8 through 10. And you see it in its context. Why do we have priests? This is why. Okay. Question ought to come to your mind if it hasn't already. What is Holiness. What is holiness? That will be on the final. What is... Uh, somebody's laughing. You don't think we have a final? You, oh. <laughs> That's why you're repeating. 
Yeah. And you may have to go around again. <laughs> what is holiness? If this is the sort of the uh, bumper sticker word for the whole book, what is holiness? Great question. Here we go. What is holiness? Holy, so the word holy, is that which is set apart, marked off, or different than the rest. Particularly in the scriptures, it means it is set apart for God. Something that is holy is set apart for God. Now, in the Old Testament, as well as the New, God declares certain people to be holy. He declares them this. So if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians. That is in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians. I even know where it is, though it's in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 6. And I have 9 through 11. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. And he goes on with some stuff. Uh, Some of you, verse 11, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God, excuse me, by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Those of you who are English majors, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. Past perfect tense. Past perfect means there was an action completed in the past that has continuing results in the present. An action completed in the past that has continuing results in the present. You were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Past perfect tense. As Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are declared to be holy. God has called us, reckoned us in his accounting system to be holy thanks to the finished work of Jesus Christ upon whom you believed. And he said, I see that faith and I credit the righteousness of my son to your bank account. That's what it means to be declared holy. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. We looked at this last week. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 14, for by that one offering, he's talking about the sacrifice of Jesus, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. There's a little bit better translation that he's already made us holy, but he's making us holy. What he's doing is bringing us up In other words, he's declared us to be this, and now he's going to bring us daily in our lives closer and closer to that 
declaration. Will that ever be completed on this side of heaven? No. But day by day, there should be progress in his spirit toward that goal. Here's where he's declared us. Here's where we started. Day by day, inch by inch, we come up this way, and then he completes that work when we're with him in heaven. So we have been declared holy, perfect forever, but also we are being made holy. We're increasingly being set apart or marked off or different or other. I've shown you this chart before, but here's where here's another place where it fits. I call this the tenses, past, present, and future, the tenses of holiness. With a view to the past, there was your salvation. With respect to sin, it took care of the penalty your sin had incurred. And as re- with respect to holiness, or your being set apart, it was positional. Positionally, you were here, outside of Christ. You put your faith in Christ. God said, I declare you now to be holy. You are completely and totally other than what you were. I have declared it. And I can do that justly based on the finished work of my son. So I've moved you from there to here. Positionally, I've been declared holy. That if I were to die tonight, I would be reckoned holy. Because God has moved me. In the present, that's called sanctification. That's the process of me becoming more and more like Jesus in my day-to-day life. That has to deal not with the penalty of sin. That's already been taken care of. How long has it been taken care of? Hebrews 10.14 For by that one offering he forever made perfect. My sanctification takes care of the power of sin that is still in me. And my holiness in this present tense is progressive, day by day, month by month, year by year. Positionally, I am holy. Progressively, I am to becoming more and more holy. In the future, my glorification The presence of sin, hallelujah, will be gone. What a day. My holiness at that point will be ultimate. It won't get any better. I will be like Christ. What a great day that'll be. The past, the present, and the future tenses of holiness. The scriptures speak of holiness in these three tenses, and sometimes they can get confusing. So this is sort of like a little playbook. And you say, in the past, with respect to holiness, positionally, I have been set apart as holy. Progressively, day by day, I'm to become more holy. I'm to become more what God has declared me to be. And in the future, one day, I will no longer have to struggle against the downward pull of sin. It will be behind me. What a great day. Those are the tenses of holiness. Okay. So that's why I've labeled the book Holiness, because in Leviticus we find out how do I approach God and how do I live with God. All of these things have, because God is holy, all of these things have to do with holiness. 
So tonight we're going to talk about the priests, the sacrifices, the priests, and then next week we'll talk about something different. We'll talk about um, avoiding defilement, but tonight we're talking about the priests. And as you read in chapter 8, as well as some other chapters from Exodus, remember the priests had to put on a uniform. Remember this? I mean, it had the, remember the turban and the medallion and the ephod and the, all that stuff, right? I don't know, out in the desert, it seems like it would have been kind of warm. But I'm sure God knows what he's doing. And so uh, here, this is what I thought of, was a, like a military uniform. Um, I know a few people, I've, I've loved many people who have served in the military, and when I ask them about their uniform, their uniform means something very, very special to them. And here's what one of those fellows wrote me. He said, when entering the army, before basic training, you spend one to two weeks in a group called 30th AG. This is where you're placed to finish paperwork for, paperwork for health care, life insurance, receive medical checks and immunizations, and to be issued uniforms and gear. These are your ACUs, your Army Combat Uniform, or battle fatigues. And while there is pride in this uniform, it's not the same as your ASU, or Army Service Uniform. You receive your ASU at the end of your basic training when you actually become a soldier and only are allowed to put them on in order to march the graduation field. This is the uniform that you are to take pride in because of what it represents. Prior to being able to dress for graduation, however, every soldier is given a serious speech from his drill sergeant. It goes something like this. Privates, when you put this uniform on, you are representing something larger than yourselves. No one cares who you are anymore. No one cares what your name is. When you do something stupid or irresponsible or, or contrary to the Army values, no one will report your name. The headline will only read, American soldier charged with war crimes or treason or dereliction of duty or even DUI. No one will remember that you did something just that an American soldier did. They take such great pride in their uniform and the conduct that that ought to call out of them that they're given a lecture to that effect before they're given the uniform, allowed to put it on and graduate. That's how important the uniform is to these men and women who are in our military. That's the picture I want you to take into looking at the priests. When the priests put on that uniform, they no longer represented themselves. They represented the nation to God, and they represented God to the nation. That uniform should have called out of them the very best conduct they were able to do. Here's the principle. Those closest to God, the priests, should most clearly reflect God. When they put that uniform on, they were in his service, doing service unto him, 
they should have always been on their best behavior in the uniform as well as out of the uniform. But those closest to God should most clearly reflect God. That's his point from these three chapters. Those closest to God should most clearly reflect God. Who were the priests? Oops. Originally, it was all Israel, but now only from the tribe of Levi, and that's because of the golden calf incident. It went from the entire nation of priests to now the Levites were the priests. The high priest had to be a descendant of Aaron. The rest of the non-Aaronic Levites were non-priest ministry assistants. On the final, you'll be asked to draw a Venn diagram. Here's Levi, here's Aaron. Because all of those in Aaron, all of the high priests from Aaron are Levites. But not all Levites are in the family of Aaron. So not all Levites are priests, but all priests are Levites. Did you get all that? That's recorded. You can listen to it again and again if you'd like. So the rest of the non-Aaronic Levites were non-priest ministry assistants. And in the book of Numbers, they're going to get assignments for carrying tabernacle stuff. The priests were not only to teach the people holiness, but to model it. Leviticus chapter 10, part of your reading tonight, verse 3. Chapter 10, verse 3. This is really the point of chapters 8, 9, and 10 is this verse right here. Moses says to Aaron, This is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory before all the people. And Aaron was silent. And we'll talk about all that stuff. But the, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory before all the people. The priests, those who got to come closest to God, were those who should have reflected him most clearly and accurately before the people. Not only to teach, but to model. You know that's true. Have you ever run across people that, and you thought, man, that teaching is great, but that fella or that lady, they're just a scoundrel. Their teaching and their conduct don't match up. Have you ever run across anyone like that? Wait, a lot of you are shaking your heads. Yes, what? You know it's true. Which one do you believe? Their words or their conduct? When they don't match up, we default to conduct. God knows this. That's why the priests who lived closest to him were to reflect him most clearly because they dwelt with him most closely. They were to teach the people holiness, but they were also to model it. They had three responsibilities. Chapter 8, to live a set-apart life. This was the lesson of chapter 8. 
Three responsibilities of a priest. Chapter 8, to live a set-apart life. Chapter 9, to help people draw near to God and worship. Chapter 10, to model how to respond well to God's discipline. Chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. Three responsibilities of Old Testament priests. So let's look at those. Chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. Chapter 8, God set the priests apart for himself. First few verses there, they were set apart publicly. Remember that? Have you got to read chapter 8? He says, bring Aaron and his sons along with their sacred garments, the anointing oil, the sacrifices together to the entrance of the tabernacle. So Moses followed the Lord's instructions, and the whole community assembled at the tabernacle entrance. Who is watching this service, this ceremony for the priests? The entire nation. They were set apart publicly. Verse 6, they were washed once for all which we've talked about before. Verses 7 through 9, they were given special clothes. Verses 10 through 13, they were anointed with oil, the special oil. Next few verses, they were empowered and commissioned. I had a question on this this morning. Why the ear? So that they would always listen to the word of God. Why the thumb? So they would always work according to the word of God and the will of God and the big toe so they would walk in the way of God. Hear, work, or do, and walk. So he had them do something with the ear, something with the thumb, and something with the big toe. They were empowered and commissioned for their, uh, for their service. They're also sanctified or set apart for God. Verse 30. Next, Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood that was on the altar, and he sprinkled them on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and their garments. In this way, he made Aaron and his sons and their garments holy. They were set apart. They were sanctified unto God. And then in 31 through 36, the end of the chapter, they fully obey God's word. They were supposed to do this for a week. Remember what happened if they would leave the tabernacle? It wouldn't go so well for them. They would die. And so they began to fully obey God's word. In all Israel... Priests were given the privilege of being some of those who were closest to God, particularly the high priest, but all of the priests. Can you imagine, I mean, can you just imagine this? If you were a worshiper, so if it were me living in 14, well, I don't know, 45, 1440 BC, and I wanted to worship God, I would bring my animal. And I would stand, I would come in through the tabernacle, the tent opening, and here would be the giant altar of sacrifice, and I would place my hands onto the sacrifice's head and confess my sins over it, and then I would kill it, 
the priest would bleed it out on the side of the altar, and depending on what the sacrifice was, he would burn it or do whatever needed to be done with it. How much closer would I, the bill in 1440 BC, how much closer to God would I ever get? No closer. That was the limit of how far I can come to God. Who can get closer? The priests. Who can get the closest? The high priest. But if I were a worshiper in those days, I had, God told me I had to stop here. This was, the, this was the level of intimacy I could have with God. Only the priests had more intimacy with God than I did in those days. They were given the privilege of being some of those who were closest to God. A priest was set apart by God to serve and represent him in his presence. Therefore, his life was to be surrendered to God and to the authority of his word because who he represented and what he did put boundaries on his lifestyle and conduct. Who this priest represented and what this priest did put boundaries on his lifestyle and conduct. So God sets apart the priests for himself. They begin to minister in chapter 9. Aaron offers sacrifices for himself. Then Aaron offers sacrifices for Israel. Then Aaron blesses the people. Verses 22 and 23. After that, so that he's finished doing the sacrifices, after that, Aaron, who's Aaron, by the way? He is the acting high priest. He raised his hands toward the people and blessed them. Then after presenting the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offering, he stepped down from the altar. Then Moses and Aaron went, back, went into the tabernacle, and when they came out, they blessed the people again, and the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole community. Fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When the people saw this, they shouted with joy and fell face down on the ground. I want to go back to 22 and 23. That's the context for what's happening. Moses, uh, sorry, Aaron blesses the people. He goes in and does the sacrifices. He comes back out and he blesses the people again. It was the particular privilege of the high priest to bless the people. Huh. Well, what kinds of things could he bless them with? Well, he could bless them with things that were within the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, which, remember, they had enacted back in chapter 40. Right? They enacted the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant. So Aaron could bless them. Um, he could bless them with, say, uh, uh, I pray the Lord's favor on your kids and your crops and your cattle. Wonderful, amazing things. Great blessings. Because the high priest could bless out of the covenant that was in force at the time. Some of you are thinking, hmm, what does that mean to me, Bill? Great question. Who is our high priest? The Lord Jesus Christ. What covenant did he cut? 
the new covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant from Jeremiah 31, which we haven't gotten to yet, promised some better blessings, didn't it? Remember the four things? That'll be on the final for sure. A new mind, a new heart, forgiveness of sins, and the indwelling Holy Spirit. The covenant that the Lord Jesus himself cut, now as high priest, he blesses us and says, I got better blessings than under the old covenant. I'm not, I'm not going to show you my favor with, you know, with children and cattle and crops and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to bless you with a new mind, a new heart, the indwelling Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins, better blessings from a better covenant, from a better priest, actually a better priesthood and a better priest. But that's the book of Hebrews, and we're not there yet. Our high priest, because of the covenant that's in force now, the new covenant, our high priest blesses us with better blessings than Aaron could. But here's the example. Aaron comes out and blesses the people based on the old covenant, which had just been cut. He's allowed to bless out of that covenant. So he does the blessings based on sacrifice and as a result of his intercession in God's presence. Whoa, seriously? Guess who spends all of his time now at daddy's side? Hebrews 7.25, he always lives to make intercession for you and for me. Guess who's always by daddy's side, whispering in his ear, Daddy, would you bless Bill this way? On the basis of sacrifice, he's, the Lord Jesus has made his sacrifice. Better sacrifice than what was made here in the Old Testament. He always lives. Could Aaron always live to make intercession for the people? No. But the Lord Jesus can. Because his is the power of an undying priesthood. Aaron died. Better priest. Better priesthood. Better covenant. Better blessings. Better blood. You'll like the book of Hebrews when we get there. But this is the first picture we have of a high priest blessing his people out of the covenant that's in force at the time. But all of this stuff... This stuff was known by the New Testament authors. When you say, so what? They knew all of this stuff. And that's why some of it we go, I don't understand what's happening in the book of Hebrews. Oh my gosh. I mean, you should read Hebrews and you should jump up and down. You should start doing this. Unbelievable. Look what we have. We have a better priest, a better priesthood, better blood, better blessings. We got better everything. Oh my goodness, who would want to run back to the old covenant? Who? Oh, those people who are caught up under the retribution principle. They want to run back to the old covenant because they want to obey and be blessed instead of remembering they've been blessed and so now they should obey. Come on, track with me here. 
God's glory appears to the people, and the people worship with joy and awe. Oh, I would have loved to be there. The people worship with joy. They fall on their face. They're so excited to worship. Yay, God, yay! When was the last time that happened for you? Sorry, am I meddling? When was the last time you worshipped with joy and awe in God's presence? Great reminder for me, maybe for you. They begin to minister in chapter 9. A priest was to help God's people deal with their sins, so he had to be cleansed first. A priest was to help God's people draw closer to God through the sin offering, the burnt offering, the fellowship offering, etc., all those sacrifices. And a priest was to help the people see God for who he really is, holy, for then they will truly worship with joy and awe. Do you think their circumstances had changed? I mean, out of... I mean, however many Israelites there were, do you think some of them might have been in, I don't know, good circumstances at the time? I'm going to say yes. Do you think some of them might have been in bad circumstances at the time? Again, I'm going to say yes. How many of them worshipped with joy and awe? All of them. And when they turn around and they go back, what what do they go back to? Whatever they were going, whatever they came from, they went back to. But it didn't impact their worship. They saw God for who he was and they worshiped. And as Christ followers, whatever our circumstances may be, sometimes they're up, sometimes they're down. Guess what happens then? They go back up. And then what happens? They go back down. (laughs) We can always worship regardless of our circumstances. Why? Because it's about God. It's not about my circumstances. It's about God. You know when the best time to worship is? When you're down. Because you never know where it's from. Sometimes it may have just been a stupid choice that you made. Sometimes we're not aware of spiritual warfare. I don't go looking for it. You know, I don't think that there's a devil behind every bush. But spiritual warfare is real. And you never know. And if you'll worship... If it's spiritual warfare, guess who's going to stop? Because it's leading to worship. Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Wait, Bill, this was supposed to get you to (laughs) raise your fist and shake it in God's face. And instead you're worshiping. You know, I'm going to try something different here. (laughs) I don't want to do that. I don't want to go in that direction. Because all that gets is worship. If I can't get you angry and upset at God, you're worshiping. Oh, gee. All right, rethink, rethink. We never know. So worship. Worship with a whole and sincere heart, wherever you are. Just worship him. He deserves it, and it's good for us. The priest was to help God's people deal with their sins, so he had to be cleansed first. He was to help God's people draw closer to God. And he was to help people see God for who he really is, holy. For then they will truly worship with joy and awe. 
chapter 9, they, they get started and we're going, yeah, this thing's moving up and to the right. This is good. We had some good conversation about the sacrifices. We've got the priests in their uniforms. They're starting to do some good stuff. Here we go. Here we go. Boom. Chapter 10. Aaron's sons. Who? Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than he had commanded. So, fire bla- the fire that had just blazed forth to consume the sacrifices, remember that, just a few verses earlier? Guess what? Now the fire comes out and burns up... <laughs> The two boys, although they were probably young men. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up, and they died there before the Lord. (laughs) Chapter 10, two priests dishonor God. At its heart, what are these two young men? Because you're thinking boys, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, that's horrible. These were young men. Could have been even 20 because you had to be 20 to enter service, into the service of the Lord. So I want you to think about someone who's probably 20. Not, don't think of a 12-year-old and someone who's like, maybe he didn't know any better. No, no, no. These, these boys were older. They knew probably what was going on. Here's the, I mean, ah, it gets worse. Nadab and Abihu were on Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 24. Remember Exodus? We just got out of that book. Exodus 24, um, 1 through 11. We're not going to read all that. 24, verse 1. Then the Lord instructed Moses, Come up here to me and bring along Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of Israel's elders. All of you must worship from a distance. Only Moses is allowed to come closer. Verse 3, so Moses tells him what to do. Verse 4, he writes it all down. Uh, Let's see. Blood, blood, blood. Verse 9, then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel climbed up the mountain. There they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet there seemed to be a surface uh, on and on and on and on. Nadab and Abihu stood in God's own presence. And not much time after this, they're offering wrong fire. A horrible picture of those who set God apart on the outside, but who don't set God apart on the inside. They're on Mount Sinai They were Aaron's sons and had been trained in the Lord's service. Their sins, they were the wrong people. It's very likely they took incense behind the curtain of the Holy of Holies, where only Daddy was supposed to go. So they were the wrong people. They used the wrong censer because there was only one that they were supposed to use. They offered it at the wrong time because it wasn't the Day of Atonement so that they could have gone behind the curtain, but they couldn't have anyway. They acted under the wrong authority, their own. They used the wrong fire and they acted under the wrong influence. 
Chapter 10, verse 9. You've wondered why in verse 8, why does God strangely start mentioning something about never drinking wine or any other alcoholic beverage? More than likely, these two young men were at least under the influence, if not drunk. You're like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. That's why it's right there. You were just reading it going, and now God talks about, okay, whatever. Put two and two together. These young men who had seen God on the mountain, who had been given a privilege beyond the entire nation of Israel, who had been trained in the way they should go and what the uniform meant and who they were serving and all of those things, what do they do? More than likely, they get inebriated, they lose their minds, and then they lose their lives. My wonderful researcher, Laurie, found, I think they were older than this. I don't like this. I like this uh, picture, but I don't like their age. Um, And here, I think, again, they were much older than this, but that's what I think. And there they're being carried away. Two priests dishonor God. And now, all of a sudden, Aaron is silent. Aaron accepted the righteousness of God's judgment. Why didn't he eat? The sacrifices were meant to be eaten, and they had to be eaten on a certain day at a, in a certain place during a certain period of time. And Aaron doesn't eat the food. And Moses goes, what are you doing? And you read these verses, and you went, I don't even understand what they're talking about. Right? Did you do that? That's what I did. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Why? Moses gets on them. Moses gets on them because there were the parts of the sacrifice that the priests were supposed to eat. Well, they're not eating them. Well, what had Aaron been told? You can't mourn. Well, what can I do? I can fast. I can fast. So he basically tells Moses, I couldn't do anything else. So we're fasting. Moses says, oh, got it. Moses is satisfied with the explanation, and off we go. Aaron shows no dissatisfaction with God's discipline because it was just. So he fasted instead of eating the sin offering without a clear conscience, which you weren't supposed to eat while in mourning. We learn that in the book of Deuteronomy. Nadab and Abihu's disobedience dishonored God's holiness and failed to reflect him. Chapters 8 through 10 are about the priests and the inauguration and the first days of getting the priesthood started. So let me see if we can't summarize just a little bit here. The Old Testament priests received great privileges, a position of closeness and intimacy with the Lord, an opportunity to serve and represent Him, and a ministry of helping people draw near to God. 
as well, they received a stern warning against serving God any way that seemed right to them instead of according to his word, and that such a heart attitude dishonors God's holiness and will incur consequences. Great privileges, stern warnings given to the Old Testament priests. Point. Those closest to God should most clearly reflect God. There was an Old Testament priesthood. There is a priesthood of the believer. Do you know, I've said it probably a hundred times already, do you know tonight, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a priest. An honest to goodness priest. Don't take my word for it. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. I know we've looked at this before. I'm hoping you're beginning to believe it. Uh, Let's see. Well, let's go down to 11 again. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. So keep flipping to the right. 1 Peter 2, verse 5. Who's Peter writing to? Christians. Chapter 2, verse 5, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. You. You are priests. Those closest to God, who are they? The priests should most clearly reflect God. Who is that? You and me. Privilege and responsibilities that we have. A couple of my professors said these things, and I wrote them down because they were so good. Uh, Dr. Alan Ross said this, Those set aside for service to the holy God must sanctify the Lord before the people by how they conduct themselves in ministry. He's not just talking there to pastors. And Dr. Tom Constable said, God is more gracious with those who fear him. Where does that come from? My heart. And make mistakes, praise God, than he is with those who do not fear him as they should. If you fear God in your heart and you make a mistake, it's looked upon differently by God, in his opinion, and I would agree with it, than those who do not set God apart that way in their heart first. You and I today are God's priests. We occupy one of the most privileged places and have one of the most privileged roles 
in the entirety of heaven and earth. If you believe Jesus is coming again and he's coming to settle accounts and one day he will rule and reign from the earth, you and I will be there with him. And do you know who will ask us questions besides other believers? The angels will ask you, what is it like? If that does not blow your mind, that an angel wants to know from you, tell me about grace. Tell me about what you know about God. They're always on the hunt for more they can learn about him. And if you know something, they long to hear that. You and I are his priests, not because we deserve it, but because he's declared it so. We have the closeness and intimate fellowship with the Lord that others in our communities and in our world only dream about. You have it. an opportunity to serve and represent him accurately and faithfully before others. In a ministry of helping others draw near to him, you and I occupy one of the most privileged places and have one of the most privileged roles in the entirety of heaven and earth. Do you believe this? So how closely do our walks reflect God? Because those who are closest to him should reflect him bestest. How closely do our walks reflect God? Chapter 8. Are you living a set-apart life? Chapter 9. Are you helping people draw near to God and worship? Chapter 10. Are you modeling? Notice what that says right there, did Aaron do any teaching on how to respond well to God's discipline? No. What did he do? He modeled it. He modeled how to respond well to God's discipline. I have some questions for us, and then we'll be finished for tonight. Did I lead a set-apart life today? Did my conduct match the privilege of my calling? You might say, today, Sunday, yes. <laughs> Yay, <laughs> Yay me. How about tomorrow? How about Tuesday? How about next Thursday or Friday? Did I lead a set-apart life today? Oh, gosh, I got to tell this story. Okay, whew, I got a minute. So back at the rocket factory, there was um, there is a large enclave. In fact, second only to Salt Lake City, there is a Latter Day Saints presence in Sacramento, and there were several at the rocket factory. They smart, talented men and women. They always arrived ten, and there. I mean, there were salary. They didn't have a. They didn't have a time clock, but they were always there 10 minutes early and they stayed 10 minutes late. 
Whenever they were at work, they were at work. They weren't messing around with other stuff. They were there to do their job, and they did their job. And those folks were most in demand by the supervisors. Why? (laughs) They did a great job. Who were they doing it for? Not themselves. So that they would give a good representation of their belief system. That ought to make us furious. Is that our goal? Wherever we work, whatever we do, is it to show we've got the uniform on, but how many times can we let grace kind of squeeze in there as an excuse? Instead of giving our employers or whoever, you, you fill in the blank being that person that they go, you know, I don't know what's about that person, but I want to know something about that person. Just, they just seem to, they work hard, they're, just, they're diligent, they're really different than a lot of the other people that I employ. Why aren't we those people? Did I lead a set-apart life today? Did my conduct match the privilege of my calling? Did I help someone draw closer to God today? Did I bear a brother's sin issue alongside him or her in prayer? Did I help a brother take his next step of surrender? Did I try to redeem a situation or restore a relationship? Did I help someone draw closer to God today? So many of the conversations we have during the day, not just me, you too, are about that. I don't feel close to God. I don't feel close to this person. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. Oh, gosh, bummer. Well, maybe it'll be better tomorrow. Instead of, as a priest, saying, what's up with that? And taking the time to just press in one or two questions and find out what they're potentially struggling with. Did I help someone draw closer to God today? That's what a priest does. Did I respond well to God's discipline today, as Aaron did? Did I accept it, or did I complain about it? And did I grow in my reverence for God's holiness through it? Or did I live my way today, my Frank Sinatra way? I did it my way. Did I live my way today, believing God should be happy with it and accept it, as did Nadab and Abihu? Bottom line on holiness, is 2019 the year for each of us to get more serious about becoming more holy? To stop just going through the motions And to sanctify, to set apart the Lord as God in our hearts and in the power of the Holy Spirit, strive in His energy to live up to and live out our privileged calling. Those closest to the Lord, us, should most clearly reflect the Lord every day to others. That's the privilege and responsibility of our calling
as priests. For next time, read Leviticus 11 through 16. Don't leave it all to the end. A word to the wise. Read a little every day. Uh, it'll, you're going to eat some sawdust. Oh, yes. And we have the... Um, Laurie and I, she is almost always right. This is one time when she was right and I changed my mind. No, that was funny. Laurie was right. I changed my mind. What she sent out in the email said, we're not having class next week. We are having class next week. If you're out on spring break, God bless you. Enjoy it. Have fun. Uh, but we'll be here for class. We're going to do Leviticus 11 through 16. So come. Uh, was that the only one on the 10th? Yeah. So the 10th, we will have class. We look forward to seeing you then. Leviticus 11 through 16. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, it's so hard to grasp that we would be your priests, that you would call us to such a privileged role to reflect you, to help people come closer to you, to help them navigate spiritual things as priests and brothers and sisters in Christ do. Uh, forgive us where we have lost sight of our calling. Uh, empower us this week through your Holy Spirit to have your eyes to see and your ears to hear and your words to share and particularly discernment to know um, your time to take with someone else. Uh, we look forward day after day and week after week to becoming more holy. Would you continue to make that more and more a reality in our lives uh, by the way you um, walk with us, by the way you lead us? Uh, we want to be great priests for you. And remember that it's not for ourselves that we serve but it's for your name. And it's to reflect well on our Lord Jesus, who gave everything, who became poor, that we could become rich in him. We love you and we thank you and we pray for these things, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.